Welcome to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. Hello, everybody. We are so honored to have Miss Allie Hayes back for, this might be the third podcast that we've done together. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> well, in any case, welcome back and let's get into some stuff that you've been up to recently in karate and the world. Just a quick introduction. Miss Ali Hayes has been studying martial arts for the past. When did you start? I think it's been about 10 years. Something like half your life. Is that about right? Um, a little less, but I mean, with Ripple, yeah, that 10 years. I did some stuff when I was a kid, but I don't really count that as much. It wasn't as serious or focused. <laughs> It was a kind of a little training ground, right? I think a lot of us have that experience, um, starting out and stopping and then coming back. But you've come back, if you can even term it that, it doesn't do it justice, but in just an enormous way. And I think some of the focus of this discussion will be on the recent tournament at the Battle of Atlanta and the team that you led down there. But just to start out, you recently earned your degree in neuroscience. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, back in 2021. Yeah. What got you into neuroscience? I always loved biology. I had some really inspirational teachers and professors and just kind of mentors in general who were into science. My older brother has his PhD in physics. And so he would come home and let me read his astrophysics textbooks <laughs> um, when I was like nine. And then my mom, you know, she went back for a teaching degree when I was a kid. She also would bring home her science textbooks in geology and human anatomy, you know, like the different skeletal muscular systems. And I would just be all over it. Neuroscience, I think, really appealed to me because it gave me a challenge. I was really interested in psychology, but it was not challenging enough for me. I really wanted to dig into the objective findings of mental health, of the brain, of our behavior as humans, how we interact with each other, interact with society, how we think about ourselves. It was just so fascinating to me. Artistry, that's kind of how we first met. I feel like I saw your art on the walls when you were a teenager mm -hmm. of the karate school. And I thought, wow, who did this? And you I'm can the still one. find one in Johnstown. <laughs> it's behind the front desk in Johnstown. <laughs> there are some, I have to say, I have in a special folder on the bookshelf, I have some of your original art for The Boy Who Cried Ninja and some other things. I still have those artifacts. They belong to you, but. That's so uh, funny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I forget about those. It's been so long. I I barely pick up a pencil now to draw, which I want to change. Life has been so busy. It's like I get to choose my outlet of creative expression. And lately it's been music and martial arts. Music and martial arts. Tell us about the music. I didn't know about that. Oh, I grew up in a very musical family. My dad's side of the family, everybody knows an instrument. Everybody's taught somebody an instrument. Um, and everybody knows multiple instruments. My grandpa, he was a band director. When he passed away, all of his instruments and kind of all of the, the passion for music kind of went into my dad and his 
uncles and aunt. And then I would say really only my dad and one uncle still play music. When I showed interest, we had this really old, (laughs) ancient, upright piano. It was really cool to me. And so I sat down and I started playing music and my parents immediately saw that I could play by ear because I didn't, I didn't know how to read sheet music at all. And so they were like, oh, we got to get you a, a better instrument (laughs) and B, we need to get you in piano lessons. Um, And so I started piano lessons with this really intense teacher. She was awesome though. She taught me so much. I started those when I was around seven or eight and my grandpa had a, a baby grand Baldwin piano that my parents still have. And hopefully I'm going to get soon because we just moved into a house. So we have space now. This Baldwin baby grand piano was the coolest thing ever. Really raised my expectations for any type of piano. I could not play on a keyboard. It was, I guess I was a little bit of a music snob. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a keyboard. It doesn't have weighted keys. No, I can't play it. <laughs> but it's kind of funny because I seriously couldn't play it because since the weights, the keys were different, sometimes even different sizes, like my muscle memory, because I never rely, I always relied on my ear. I never relied on sight reading. If they weren't exactly the same way as the baby grand piano, then it would be so difficult for me to play. That is really interesting. I play guitar and for years and years I played exclusively electric guitar and then you know circumstances changed I kind of played exclusively acoustic for years and years and when I tried to go back to electric it was a little bit of a similar situation I thought these strings are like demo floss almost right right yeah yeah when I was first thinking about learning guitar there was a guy in the corner of this music shop in Chicago and he was playing this Charvel um, that was all neon colored and things. It was pretty like, it just attracted your attention for sure. But then his playing was just amazing. And I said, do you teach? I remember those words. And he said, yeah, I do sign up for lessons. Are you attracted to teachers like instructors? Do do you see something and go, yeah, I want to learn from that person. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, there's definitely a few sides to that. And actually, this totally ties in the Battle of Atlanta, because in Battle of Atlanta, uh, in Atlanta, I met Grandmaster John Chung. And if we don't know who that guy is, then I can, (laughs) we can explain that. But yeah, definitely. I mean, one, somebody has to display an inspirational amount of talent in order for me to want to learn from them. And then on the other hand, do they have the character and the attitude in order to teach? Because sometimes sometimes you run across some people that, you know, they are, they're really, really good. They are really successful. They've gotten lots of points. They're a ranked competitor. So the other piece is that humility, that, um, that service. Will they, are they willing to teach? Do they think that you are good enough for them to teach you? And it's kind of interesting because... I mean, people have their opinions, especially around like the tournament circuit. And I mean, it's not really the tournament circuit. It's kind of just martial arts in general. When you're out in tournaments and you're exposed to a ton of different types of martial arts, different styles, different schools, different styles of teaching, um, different styles of, of leadership, you experience things in a more 
real world sense. Like at Ripple Effect, we are really, really on top of our leadership, our leading by example. Um, we really care about um, the example that we're setting for our students, um, making sure that we're always mentors, making sure that we are supportive and always there. And unfortunately, that's not a thing in other places in the world. I wish it was, <laughs> but I mean, that's a thing about Ripple Effect that I'm very proud to be a part of is that we are always, you know, our mindset, our character, that is really the first thing. It's a powerful feeling. I have felt that too with the instruction. Tell us a little bit about John Chung. So he, he was a student of June Rhee, is that? Yeah. What yeah. Was, um, what was it like to be around him? Oh my gosh. It was like... Uh, okay, so I guess let me just set the scene. So in the Renaissance Waverly Hotel, that's where the Battle of Atlanta has been held for quite a few years, and I'm assuming is going to be held there for much longer. This is a two, technically a three-day event, two days for pure competition. One day, the Thursday that it began on was a little bit of a camp and seminar day. So lots of opportunity for cool stuff to happen. So it was, let's see, Friday morning. Um, we had one of our adult competitors. Uh, she went out and she sparred first thing in the morning. And then we had some more sparring rings go. And it was around like 10 or so when the Korean challenge ring came up. Um, and this is really cool because the Korean challenge, this is where competitors present a Korean form. So Taekwondo, Tongsudo um, are the main two and the, their various styles. They present a Korean form. There's a certain set of rules that you have to abide by. It has to be completely unaltered. You have to wear a white uniform. You don't say a presentation. You just go up, you do it. There are judges placed very strategically. They're counting how many yells you have your stances, your the evenness of your kicks on either side. So it's intense, but it's so cool. And this is the first time that NASCA had ever had a Korean challenge. They've had Japanese challenges with the traditional Japanese forms forever, but this was new. And I wanted to compete in it, but I, I tore my ACL back in February. So nothing really happened with me during this, this trip, but just watching it was 99% of the coolness, let's just say. Um, so anyway, I'm standing there. I'm waiting for like the men's division for Korean Challenge to start. And Mr. Worth and some of our team are kind of sitting ringside. And I went over and I was doing something. I think I was talking to a student. And then I come back over and like from across the huge ballroom, I see John Chung. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh, that's John Chung. <laughs> And I am not a person to like get starstruck or, or like whatever, but I legitimately squealed. And again, I tore my ACL back in February. So I have this huge knee brace on, I can't run. Um, so I'm like hobbling over as fast as I can, like skipping on my good leg, <laughs> trying to get over there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Cole, it's John Chung. Like, do you, and nobody recognized him other than me. And he's like, oh my gosh, it, it is John Chung. So anyway, I'm just sitting there kind of in awe because, oh my gosh, it's Taekwondo legend John Chung. And then so cool because the Korean challenge was going on. And I'm like, how do you even judge this? It's so everyone's so good. 
it took me about 24 hours to get up the courage to go up and talk to him. <laughs> but the next day, we are in the big grand ballroom. It has the big stage on it. Um, and there are some demo teams up there. They're performing. And so everyone's like, oh, wow, that's so cool. At this point, I've seen everything that I really, really wanted to see. And as a person who's been in martial arts for so long and been in competitions several times a year, there's a point that the wowness factor kind of <laughs> dies down just a little bit just because you've seen so much. And so at this point, I was like, I don't really care about watching the stage as much. But oh, my gosh, John Chung is right there. Him and his son were eating breakfast and they were talking. Some of the judges, they were just like coordinating plans for the day or whatever. Mr. Eklund, Larry Eklund, he also is one of our other coaches on the team. He and I are in the ballroom together and I'm like, oh my God, Larry, look, it's, it's John Chung. And he's like, go talk to him. You're, you're telling, you're talking to me about that's John Chung, but why aren't you just going up and talking to him? And I was so nervous because not because it's John Chung, but because what if you meet somebody who you really look up to and they're not the person that you thought they were. And so that was, that was really what was weighing on me. So anyway, I just ripped the bandaid off and I go up to him and I was like, hi, I'm so sorry to interrupt your breakfast. You know, you're really busy, but would you mind getting a picture with me? And he's like, oh, I would never mind. I always have time. And he's just the nicest, kindest down to earth person out of every quote unquote famous person that I met there. He was the one that he, he stepped away from his son his judging duties and we talked for a solid 10 minutes until all the rings began of course he he wants to get to know like oh who are you who are you here with like who are you representing and then he knew a little bit about ripple effect and then well this is like the thing that i really wanted to talk to him about i was like i led a curriculum standardization process a couple of years ago in our schools and we used your videos and he, he loves his own videos. It's so adorable. And, uh, I mean, they're good videos. They're great instructional material. So I'm like, yeah, so I use these videos and I led this, you know, I, I'm a really, I'm a freak about details. I can analyze things, you know, and I use them and I just want to say like, you are one of my inspirations for traditional forms in, in competition. Cause John Chung came up through competition um he he competed with granada he competed with beethoven so those martial ballet that june re made he did shift the forms a little bit for competition but he's really one of the pioneers of the national circuit of nazca so um it was just so cool to talk to him and then later that day mr worth was up for his traditional um korean traditional forms not the challenge it's a little bit of a different thing and he's on stage and who's judging him on stage grandmaster john chung we also had another one of our our students uh annalise Frenecki. she was uh her her ring was judged by john chung too um and so yeah mr worth go goes in out of 21 people he takes fourth place which is insane because he, this is the first time he went to, we went to Nazca. He's getting judged by John Chung. And um, so it was just like, it was really, really cool. While he was, when he was going up to get feedback from him after his forms, we had this other guy come up to him and in, in, in Cole's ring and was like, Hey, 
I learned all of my forms from you, from John Chung. I learned all of my forms from your videos. And he just goes, yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, I remember learning about John Chung when I was a brown belt. And that was when Ripple Effect was uh, going, the process you just described, they were reviewing his curriculum and his take on the combinations and forms and going, we're going to change a few things. And I, a couple of months ago, I talked to John Worley, uh, Grandmaster oh. Worley, uh, you know, old school legend, uh, and uh, who studied under Junri, and he talked about that process about do you change the traditional forms? What it constitutes a traditional form? In 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 his opinion, you do you 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 modify and you weigh that very uh, take a lot of consideration into what you are changing. And I remember that going on when I was working there in my black belt. Um, it, it did. What do you remember about that process? Because you were an instructor by that point. Um, well, it happened a few times. Um, and I would say it, it was when um, all of the changes or um, modifications or standardizations, whatever you want to call it, um, before our like curriculum overhaul standardization overhaul where we did every single form that we have um we would wait until prep cycle and the prep cycle coordinator would make the adjustments um and we were getting to the point where we had so many students that well we don't want to completely overhaul four years worth of curriculum and have them learn it in three months. So we were trying to be a little more proactive. Um, and also we had three schools and especially during COVID when we were teaching online, um, you know, we would have students from any location attend any locations class because it was virtual. Um, and it was just getting really confusing for some kids and really frustrating for kids and instructors or students and instructors. Um, and we'd have, <laughs> students say like hey you're you're teaching this wrong or you know instructors figuring out like wait we're teaching this slightly differently but we have those really highly anal analytical kids or, or students that want all the details and they want them right and they want them now um so um that was kind of the motivation to overhauling everything um making sure that everything and all the, all the ripple effect schools, all instructors are taught the same way. Um, because when we come together at black belt tests, we are one, we're not Johnstown, we're not Longmont, we're not Broomfield, et cetera. So, um, we're, we're ripple effect. Um, so yeah. You know, you're, you can actually speak to this really well. I think there I've heard it, read about it, talked to people about it all the time. The the um, consistencies between martial arts training and medical training, uh, firefighting training, military training. And there are a lot of parallels there. And 
this is one. There are always modifications, right, in those different fields. It's not one standard or something that is always applied the same way all the time. It's it's shifting. And when you talk about being proactive, how how do you get students to understand that and think about what do I need to modify or, or, or how do I approach this form that will be correct in quotes, but also you know, my expression. I have a feeling that's what the judges are looking for at a tournament like Battle of Atlanta. Right. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess there's two ways I can approach that. One, from like an overall perspective in both, I mean, my expertise is competition and coaching, even though I do have a, I mean, obviously I wouldn't be where I am without my instructor background. So on one hand, we're a relatively new school. We've only been around for 10-ish years. And and even schools that are more established and have been around for decades, we all need to adopt a sense of evolution where our current state is never going to satisfy us forever. Um, And so making those changes, I mean, we're all about mindset. We're all about those kind of abstract thinking, even though it's a little difficult, but that's what makes it important. Relaying that to our students and saying, hey, you know, these things aren't working out for us. But we're doing this because it's it's good. We are changing. Change is good, even though it's uncomfortable. On the flip side of that, um, your question about modifying a form with creative expression. Oh my gosh, tournaments are, in my opinion, the best way to be able to kind of funnel in on that. And that's exactly why I was attracted to tournaments so much. Um, you can express that creative freedom a little bit more. That being said, depending, and you got to always read the rules of the division that you're signing up for because traditional forms versus traditional challenge are two completely different things. One, if you make modifications to your form, that's fine. Two, some things, if you make modifications to your forms, you'll get dinged and disqualified. That's the cool thing about tournaments, though, is that there's always a space for something. So it's like, oh, if you want to be a completely traditional martial artist, you there's all of these options. Oh, you want to be a contemporary martial artist and you want to do your extreme flips and you want to, you know, toss your weapons up in the air. Cool. There's these things that you can compete in. Um, you don't want to do any forms. You can just do point sparring or, or, or sparring in general. There's a billion different sparring divisions you can enroll in. So there's always a place for somebody to express their creativity and uh, demonstrate their expertise in whatever area that they've chosen to develop so that's really interesting i what you were just talking about when we think of chess i mean the rules of chess yeah really violate them but there's almost infinite possibilities for how you can work and proceed there so it, it when we talk about that, uh, how about sparring? How how was the sparring competition at Battle of Atlanta? So cool. It was so cool. Sparring has never been my absolute favorite thing, obviously. I mean, I love it because it's Taekwondo, but it made me want to just pad up and get out there, even though I'm not medically cleared to do that quite yet <laughs> with my knee. But it was it was so awesome. That actually brings me to Another cool little fun fact is that so at NASCA tournaments, 
they have coaches meetings every single morning, sometimes multiple times a day. In the meeting, it goes through concussion awareness, safety, going over obviously the sportsmanship, the the coach behavior, all that stuff. But I think one thing that a lot of people get really intimidated about with sparring at tournaments, especially, is that it's too scary. It's it's really intense. It's a lot, and it can be. But they took a lot of measures <clears throat> this year, and and what I assume in the previous years too, to make it safe, fun, thrilling. You know, intense. It's a challenge, but it's not. You're not going to go in there and get your head kicked off. The amount of control that I saw in all of the rings, all ages, all ranks, was impeccable. Oh my gosh, you'd think people were half lightning. People moved so quickly. <laughs> like it, it was so cool, so cool. And being a coach in those rings too was just, I mean, I would say a little downright intimidating at first, but then you're like, oh, this is just like our statewide tournaments. This is just like our regionals. Not a, really a big deal. But yeah, it was a blast just to watch it. And that's what I was saying earlier. Like, even though I couldn't compete because of my knee injury, and of course I was really, really upset about it. I I didn't have to compete in order to have fun. That must be incredibly thrilling for you to see ripple effect students competing in that kind of an arena. I yeah. mean, when it's a, a phrase that we use all the time, black belt, and beyond, right? Well, what's the beyond? You earn your black belt and then what? This is a huge part of what, right? You earn a black belt and then you get to involve yourself in in this kind of thrilling competition. What were what's another highlight from the the competition that that you took away in any way as a coach, um, you know, personally? I think as a coach. Um, I want to say that um, the highlight was so at NASCA um, in the the minors division. So all the kids under 18, there are two different divisions. There's A and then double A. So double A is or AA is NASCA ranked. And that's where all the NASCA ranked competitors will compete in. A is is kind of just, uh, uh, I guess it's technically called amateur division. And so neither one is better than the other. It's just a different type of competition. If you compete in A versus AA, your competition experience is just as legitimate as if you competed in the other. So we had a, a student, it was actually Miss Annalise Frenecki. She competed in A. Um, there's not a lot of nine-year-old black belts out there. So her ring was very, very small. But um, she found out that there was nobody in her sparring ring for her A black belt division and so she ranked up into the aa division last minute and there's only like i think one or two other kids in that division too and she's also sparring on stage and i don't know if you know miss Frenecki, but she's like nine or ten she's pretty small and she looks like really shy but she's not she is such a beast <laughs> um when she gets into the ring she knows exactly what she wants and she's so on it um, so anyway she ranked up into the harder more difficult sparring division a there's actually more kids to spar and she did amazing amazing i'd never seen her be so fierce and so quick so committed to getting points it was just so cool and then of course seeing her up there with john chung and like they were talking and then i guess the other kind of tidbit to that is when she was doing her forms division she was the only one in her in her ring though she 
comes up to me and I'm like, do you know who that is? You know, who's judging you? That's John Chung. And she's like, who's that? And I'm like, I, I don't have time to explain. He's really important. You should go talk to him and get feedback. And so we're all kind of talking and, and, and he goes, man, your kicks are really good. Che Young, that's one of my favorite forms. And then I kind of freaked out because Che Young is my favorite form. And I'm like, of course, John Chung and I have a favorite form. And then John Chung, of course, saying, good job, coach. You teach well. That, that meant a lot to me. 